Well, we're in the study in John on Jesus is. It's about the identity of Jesus. It's the most important question you can answer. It's going to determine where you're going to spend eternity. And uh, two weeks ago, we were in chapter 9. And 9 and 10 kind of go together as a package. We took a week off and uh, Pastor Dana was here. I've been hearing about how great it was all week long. So uh, we were blessed. And no, no, it's a, it's a blessing from God uh, to have a strong word of God preached uh, to our youth on a regular basis and challenging them to grow in their faith and to live for Christ. And uh, so uh, thank you, Dana, for leading us in that. But turn in your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 10. And uh, let's jump into this uh, together. See, we are a people who worship Jesus Christ. We are a people who worship Jesus Christ. Let that thing sink in because there's places in this world where you could get killed for taking that stand. And uh, we don't just admire him or follow him or swear allegiance to him or think he was a nice person. We worship Jesus Christ as the central, eternal, uncreated, omnipotent, all-wise creator and uh, redeemer and sustainer of the universe. I mean, he's God, one with the Father, one with the Son uh, and, uh, and the Spirit. And we worship God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one God in three divine persons and we worship Jesus. And that's the context of John chapter 9 and 10. And in uh, not chapter 9, of course, as it unfolds, there's a blind man that Jesus uh, uses uh, some uh, dirt that he turns into mud, puts it on the man's eyes and says, go wash and uh, you will see. And the man does that and for the first time in his life. He can see. Uh, with his eyes. And uh, then, of course, Jesus did it on a Sabbath day. So the Pharisees want to get in on it because that broke the rules. And uh, just all the way through chapter 9, the sight of the blind man gets clearer and clearer. He's got vision. And uh, then uh, the blindness of the Pharisees becomes darker and darker. And uh, by the middle of chapter 9, the Pharisees who have examined this say to the ex-blind man, give glory to God. We know this Jesus person is a sinner. And the blind guy or ex-blind guy says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but here's what I know. Once I was blind, now I can see. And by the end of the chapter, Jesus comes and finds him and says to him, do you believe in the son of man? He says, well, I don't know who that is. And Jesus says, well, he's talking to you and you can see him. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. So the division couldn't be deeper. You have one group that wants to blaspheme Jesus and one guy that wants to worship Jesus. And that's what it all comes down to. There's really no fence sitting in the end. There's kind of two groups, those that worship Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and those who blaspheme or those who are skeptics. And that's where Jesus was taking the blind man from blindness to the blazing deity of Jesus Christ. And that's where he's taking us again as you head into chapter 10. So this is, I mean, but what comes out of Jesus' mouth is radical. He, he never had the chance to go to the Dale Carnegie class on how to win friends and influence people. And so he says things that, uh, that have some sharp edges and uh, would sound like uh, they're, they're obnoxious or radical or uh, self-grandizing. And he says so many of those and some of them so big that he's either insane or he is God. In fact, that's where the, I'll show you where it ends first uh, is in uh, chapter 10 verses 19 and 20. It says there was a division again among the Jews because of Jesus' words. Many of them said, he is a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of the one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So is he insane or is he God? 
Those are the two choices. It all comes down to that. Is he insane or is he God? If he's God, then be on your knees and worship him and follow him and put him in charge of your life. If he's insane, then just toss it overboard and forget all about it. But you do that at your own peril. Here's why I say Jesus pushed it to that. Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus is talking about his power. And he says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. That's either insane or it's divine. There's no middle ground. I mean, no mere mortal would be able to say, I have authority to lay down my life. I mean, any person could say that much. You could jump in front of a a speeding bullet, I suppose, to save somebody's life or jump off a cliff if you wanted or commit a capital crime or somehow get yourself killed. You have the, the power to lay your life down. But Jesus went on to say, I have authority to take it up again. No mere mortal can do that. If you're dead, you don't have the authority to make yourself undead. I can't do that. Only Jesus did that. I mean, if you're dead, you don't have any authority to be undead. You can't undead yourself. But Jesus said he could. So he sounds insane. It is insane for a mortal man. He couldn't be done, but Jesus did it. So he's either insane or he's God. He had the power. He's God. And so I want us to listen to him and follow him with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength because our whole life depends on where we end up after listening to Jesus. Here's how chapter 10 begins. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up another way... That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now this chapter... Chapter 10, kind of the first part of it, the first 18 verses, divide really into three uh, groupings. There's uh, Part 1 is verses 1 to 6, which I just read. And then uh, the next part is 7 to 10, where Jesus says, I am the door. And then the third part is 11 to 18, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So one way to sum up the three parts is that first he's saying, in this first one, Jesus is gathering a flock. He's talking to Jewish people right in, under the shadow of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. There's a large quad area, patio area, and he's sitting on that talking to people when these Pharisees come up to yell at him and and ask him questions. And so he's gathering a flock of people, of people who are listening to his voice saying, that man is speaking the truth and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. In verses 7 to 10, he's explaining why he's gathering a flock. It's because he wants to give them life and to have them have it abundantly. And then in verses 11 to 18, he's explaining how he is gathering a flock and giving life to the flock. And that is by laying down his own life for them and then taking it up again. So that's kind of a summary of where we're headed. But let's start where Jesus is in the circle and he's been teaching his followers. And then these Pharisees come up to yell at him. And that's at the end of chapter 9. Now, the, the, uh, the book, John just wrote the book. Because he was inspired by God to do so. And somebody else later came along and divided it into chapters. And then somebody later than that came along and said, you got to have smaller portions than that. And they put verses on it. Okay, so, but the chapters and verses was later edition, you understand. So 9 and 10 belong together. And here's why. I'm going to read the last couple of verses of chapter 9 and the first verse of chapter 10. 
He said, some of the Pharisees near, near him heard him say these things, and they asked him, are we blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Now, the Pharisees, of course, Pharisee means separate. It's somebody who, uh, they were around the temple because they were smart. They had studied. They had basically memorized the Bible. They had uh, debated what every little, little jot and tittle meant um, their whole life. And so they were the teachers. And uh, so Jesus has come along suggesting they don't know stuff. And they've prided themselves on knowing stuff their whole life. And uh, so to uh, say, say, well, you know, you're just kind of average for your class would be a real insult to this group. And Jesus has healed a blind man and he says to them, suggests that they're blind and they're going to take exception to it. And so he says, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we can see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There's no break in between these two chapters. It's unmistakable. The thief and the robber are the Pharisees. They got their position of looking like a shepherd and having leadership without the blessing of the gatekeeper. They studied hard. They knew stuff, so they got the job, but they're not faithful shepherds to the flock. In Jeremiah, God said, through Jeremiah, he's talking to the same kind of people, and he said to them, if you had stood in my presence, you would have heard my word, and then you'd have declared my word to the people. Which that's the job of the preacher, to stand in God's presence, listen to God's word, and then declare God's word to the people. So the Pharisees aren't doing that. They're kind of priding themselves on all the Bible knowledge that they've got stored up, but they were not commissioned by the true gatekeeper, God himself, and they're not faithful shepherds. The legitimate shepherd enters with the blessing of the gatekeeper, and he speaks to his sheep, and he calls them by name, and they recognize his voice, and they follow him. When I was a kid growing up, of course, you hardly had electricity and you certainly didn't have all the electronics that we have. And, and we actually thought it was, it was mandatory that when the sun was out in the afternoon, you played outside. Now, I realize that's, that's a, it's such an old idea, it probably seems new to some people um, to actually spend time in the sunshine outside, but that's what we'd do. But when dinner time came around, then all of a sudden you'd hear this long, clear, distinctive, one-of-a-kind whistle. I can't even do it, but you'd hear my dad do this big whistle, and that was the signal. And you had understanding in advance that meant drop everything you're doing, regardless what it is, yell coming, and run home as fast as you can. So all of a sudden you're doing something, your fort's half built, you know, and you hear the whistle, and you're leaving, and your friends going, "Well, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going?" Said, "No, no, no, I'm leaving because of that whistle." What was the big deal about that whistle? That was my dad. He's calling me. He's saying that Jesus is saying the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. They recognize his call. They follow his voice because they belong to him. And then he goes on to say, he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. I mean, Jesus in these first verses never claims to be the shepherd, but it's plain from the context from chapter 9 when he called the blind man to himself. He called somebody who was blind into sight, and people who claim to have sight and insights are really are blind spiritually, and he makes a worshiper out of one, and the rest are blasphemers, and the Pharisees are heartless towards the ex-blind man. They have no care for him, but Jesus is gathering the shop of this flock. He's calling his own by name and they are hear his call and they respond to his call they don't just keep doing their own thing so when you hear this word of god you either hear 
God speak to you or you hear the words of a man that you assume is insane from what he says. John calls this a figure of speech. Why did Jesus take the time to say this to the Pharisees? They say, you're saying we're blind? We don't know stuff? We can't see stuff? We've got blind spots? We can see. And Jesus says, okay, here's a test. And he draws a word picture for them of the sheep and the shepherd. And they basically end up saying, we don't get it. You know how when you go to have your eyes checked and, you know, they got that big chart and you know you're going to have to read it. And maybe I'm the only one who does this. So before the doctor starts asking you what's what, you know, you kind of look with both eyes. You try to memorize the line, you know, that you think would be the one they're going to want to have. Some, okay, some of you have done that. So then they go, okay, read the chart. You go, E. They go, yeah, that's good. Good start. What's the next line? What's the next line? And they take it down until pretty soon all of a sudden they're writing stuff down. And then they go, hmm. And then you know you're really in trouble, right? You know, <laughs> okay, that's what Jesus did is he took them on this, you know, do they see or are they blind? John says Jesus used a figure of speech and they didn't understand what he was saying. They're blind. They can't see it. You know, and he's saying that to us. Can, can you see that where God is working? To spend time not saying, God, bless me and bless what I do, but to say, God, where are you working? And show me what you're doing and I want to team up with you. How do, I, how do we move forward with you? Now, that's what I believe we've been doing around here. I mean, if you're new, we've, we've been talking to our city for over a dozen years, and we've spent over $3 million on studies, and we finally heard them say yes, a 5-0 yes, that yes, we can move forward. Praise God. And so, you know, we put a whole bunch of it in this little book. Now, nobody's been reading this in church, right? They told me, you know, if you hand this out early in church, people will read it when we want them singing or listening to the message. And I said, well... I'm probably not the only one who practices multitasking. And I bet especially the mommies in the room will just do great reading this and listening up there at the same time. So turn to page 7, can you? There's pages on the, on the, on the left side. And, uh, you know, here's what we're supposed to be about. Our vision is that we're a multi-generational family connecting people to God and to each other. And the whole point, the reason that we're doing that is the verse at the bottom where Jesus said, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you and behold I'm with you always to the end of the age so you look here through the pictures you're going to see people being baptized you're going to see people of, in, uh, in your growth groups and Sunday school classes and gatherings studying God's word because they're doing what this verse says they're, they're being baptized new life in Christ and then teaching to observe they're growing up in Christ and sharing it all over the world and God is with us and uh, so that's what he's doing that's what we're supposed to be doing how does Jesus respond to their blindness? Well, you look at it one way, he keeps explaining to make things clearer. You look at it another way, and, and he, he keeps sounding more and more foolish. To the point that they say he's insane, he must have a demon. I mean, you know, he's done this before. In chapter 6, he called it, he said, I am the bread of life. And we talked about that. And they murmured, how can he be the bread from heaven? And his words meant nothing to them. And he went on, so he went on, made himself sound utterly grotesque to them. He said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That's exactly what we're going to do today at the communion table. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. 
He said, I told you no one can come to me unless he's granted by my Father. So in one sense, to the believers, Jesus is making things clearer and clearer. To the people who do not see him and recognize him as Lord, he sounds more and more offensive. And that's what he does here. He says, you don't grasp my figure of speech about the sheep and the door and the shepherd and the strangers and the thieves. So try this one on. I am the door. I am the shepherd. And I go, one group goes, that's foolish that's silly you can't be the door of the shepherd and the other says jesus tell us what does it mean that you're the door for us what does it mean that you're our shepherd and uh, willfully blind ones he just offers foolishness it just sounds more and more foolish and to those who are desperate to see he offers hope so what does jesus say about being the door about being the shepherd look at verse 7 He said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life. Now, Jesus said the same thing several times. Even later in John, it's even sharper. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father by me. Do you believe that? in the Bible. Because if you believe that, you can't believe uh, the, the common thinking about this in our world today, which says, you know, all religions are, are equally valid. All roads lead to God. Everybody's faith is taking them the same place. All religions are just as important and just as significant as others. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. And it's so out of style. But it's why we have a passion for missions. People got to hear about Jesus. He's the only way. That's why we put money into missionaries. In fact, 10% of our budget every year goes to missionaries beyond ourselves so they can tell the story of Jesus. Do you know what's going to happen when we get in a big building program, spending lots of money on buildings? We're still going to put 10% of our our budget into missions because people need to hear about Jesus. They need to know. I mean... That's what we budget. Actually, uh, in reality, we've been giving about twice that to missions because people have a passion for people to get to hear about Jesus and then make their own choice. People need the Lord. Jesus is the only way. He's the only door. He says, I'm the only way. And you come to me. He says, you can come in. Then you go in and out and find pasture. He's saying, you come in, you'll be saved. I'll keep you safe. But you know, the sheep don't live in the pen. They go out to the pastures and they get something to eat and they uh, get by the still waters. And he says, you'll be in my sheepfold. Jesus says, represents safety and protection. But they go in and out so they have abundant life. It's not just about being safe your whole life. That's very important, but it's a basic. Once we feel safe, then we go, okay, now how do I really live? How do I celebrate? How do I live an abundant life? Abundant life is about having joy and peace in God. So thank you, Jesus, for opening the door for us, of making us safe and saved and giving us life that's truly life. Look at verse 11. Jesus also said, I'm the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, 
one shepherd. So what does it mean that Jesus claimed to be our shepherd? I'll give you the short answer because we're going to get to communion. Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's bound to his sheep like he's bound to his father. He's not letting go of either one. He doesn't want to lose the, the sheep. And so he loses his own life for the good of the sheep. But then he comes back as their protector. So nobody made him lay his life down. He laid it down voluntarily for you and for me. He gave himself. He said, this is my body. This is my blood given for you. And he's raised to be the great shepherd of the sheep. He's alive today. And he's leading and he's protecting. And he's providing life that is truly life. And he said he had sheep not of this fold. What's he talking about? Well, the first sheep of the fold, of course, are those Jewish people sitting right there on the temple area listening to him preach. We weren't in that group. So you and I are from another fold, another era, another place. But he had us in mind right here. And not just us. It's not just people exactly like us. There are other people who are not like us, who Jesus loves and cares for and draws to himself as well. And the apex of the abundant life we seek is the worship of Jesus Christ. Because he said, I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to take it back up. So he's either insane or he's God. We believe he's God. He offers himself to us. And he says, I'm your shepherd. I give you life. So we're going to commemorate around the table. And if you know and love Jesus, you are welcome here. He said, this is my body and this is my blood given for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that you paid and provided a way for us to be right with God. Thank you that you were willing to be broken so that we might be made whole. Now I pray that you will speak to each of us. That we would bring, you would bring to our mind those things that we need to ask for you to forgive. That need to be covered by your blood. That you would feed and nourish and restore us. Places where we've been wounded or beaten down. That we need to offer to you as a gift and to let you rebuild and restore and to refresh us. And we come and we thank you that we receive you, your body and your blood. We love you. Thank you for giving yourself for us. Amen.